Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 732 with Clay Scroggins. We got Clay back because he's just chock full of insight, and this time he's talking about how aspiring leaders can succeed. So you'll learn, one, the four A's for mastering tricky conversations. Two, why the right people aren't necessarily the right people. And three, one question to help surface your superpower. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP732. And if you're new here, that tends to happen a lot in January. Welcome, welcome. It's so good to have you. Check out our boatload of cool resources over at awesomeatyourjob.com. That includes the email summaries. We call them the gold nuggets, which summarize the actionable wisdom the guest shared in a note you can read in about two or three minutes, as well as unlocking the vault of all such summaries. We call those the gold nuggets. We've got full text searchable transcripts of all 732 episodes. We got all the episodes tagged by the topic covered, the competency covered, and a whole lot of cool stuff. So check it out over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Clay's story. Clay is the author of the best-selling books, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge and How to Lead in a World of Distraction. He holds a degree in industrial engineering from Georgia Tech, as well as a master's degree and doctorate with an emphasis in online church from Dallas Theological Seminary. In January 2022, that's us here now. Clay releases his third book called The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, Nine Surprising Ways Leadership is Changing. For the past 20 years, Clay Scroggins has served in many pastoral roles at North Point Ministries, a multi-site church started in Alpharetta, Georgia, led by Andy Stanley. Most recently, Clay served as the lead pastor of Buckhead Church, one of their largest campuses. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife, Jenny, and their five children. Big thanks to Clay for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And here he is. Clay, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Oh, Pete, thank you. I feel so grateful to be back because last time I was here, you changed my keynote talk that I do on the book that you were interviewing me about. So thank you. Oh, shucks. Oh, shucks. <laughs> I hope today is just as impactful. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> cool. Well, well, to kick it off, I mean, it's been a little while, and we're going to be talking about your, your book here, uh, The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, Nine Surprising Ways Leadership is Changing. And I'd love to hear uh, a surprising lesson you've learned in the, the couple of years since we've last spoken. Well, I... Uh, resigned from my job three months ago. So uh, I don't know what exactly the lesson is for the future of leadership, but I'll tell you for the now, it has been 
remarkably great to be self-employed. Cool. Yeah, certainly. I, well, I, I've enjoyed the journey myself, pros and cons in, in every instead of trade-offs. Uh, cool. Well, hey, good luck. I hope that you continue rocking and rolling. Well, you know, I, I feel like a bit of a walking cliche about it because, you know, we're in the middle of the great resignation. United States is resignation nation. We went through a pandemic or going through a pandemic. Anyone through, who is in a helping industry, nurses, teachers, nonprofits, and then I was in the clergy business. I was a pastor. Still am doing a lot of preaching at churches on the weekends, but you know, anybody who's in one of those lines of work, the emotional toll of the pandemic just seems to be a little bit more stressful. And um, I just felt like, oh, of course, like I went through a pandemic and quit my job. But honestly, it wasn't the challenge of the last year and a half. I actually enjoyed the challenge of the last year and a half. But it was that feeling that I think everyone has from time to time, which is, can I do it? Like, do I have it in me? to make a go of it on my own. I guess it was like a little bit of a, uh, I'm going to take a bet on myself. And obviously you did that. Was it 10 years ago? Just about. Yeah. Crazy. So that's pretty much what I decided to do was let me go out and uh, see if I can do it. Well, congratulations. It's, it's good to have you. My kid bought me this Van Gogh poster and she's been meaning to write Let's Van Gogh on this <laughs> poster. <laughs> Which she gave it to me as a gift for working for myself now, which I thought was really brilliant. She just hasn't put Let's Van Gogh on it quite yet. I need her to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's Van Gogh, Pete. Let us. Let us indeed Van Gogh. Well, so tell us what, what's fundamentally sort of the, the main thesis or big idea behind the book, The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. Well, I like everyone else, notice that leadership is, I, I like leadership. Let me back up and say, I enjoy the concept of leadership. I think everybody was made to have an impact on this world. I think it is baked in your DNA that you want to make a difference, that you want to build something, grow something, create something, move something forward. And I believe at every level of any organization, every single person is a leader. Leadership's not about authority. It's not about a title. It's not about power. It's about the ability to influence someone, to move someone to do what they maybe don't even want to do to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And so from that standpoint, I've written a couple of books on leadership. So I spend a lot of my time speaking about leadership, talking about leadership, uh, helping organizations that have a girth of emerging leaders, a swath of emerging leaders, helping them figure out how they can become better people. When you become a better person, you usually become a better leader. And I started realizing, obviously, in the last couple of years, oh my goodness, leadership is changing at a rapid rate. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Every time I started out to research the topic of how leadership is changing, every blog post, every book, every research study started with that same concept, leadership is changing, leadership is changing. But the more I tried to understand it, the more I realized none of us really know how it's changing. And if you don't know how it's changing, it's really not very helpful. That Wayne Gretzky quote that I wanna, you know, to really be great at hockey, you have to skate to where the puck is going, not to where the puck has been. If we're going to grow and develop into the kind of leader that the future is demanding, then we have to know how leadership is changing. So that was really what was behind it all was, all right, well then how is it changing? What are the ways that leadership in the future is going to be different than it has been in the past? And let's talk about it. 
So I, through a bunch of research and reading and studying and thinking and conversing, came up with nine, I call them surprising ways. Some of them are less surprising than the others, but nine ways that leadership is in fact changing and how we can become the kind of leader that the future is demanding. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yes, I, I would like to to get a view of that. And, and maybe to kick us off, could you provide an example or illustration of what's uh, some leadership going on? And you don't have to name names, but you can if you want. <laughs> that is old and broken and and not what's with it anymore. Well, I think some of the cliches, some of the tropes of leadership that I remember when I was probably 20, 21, I co-opted for Accenture business strategy consulting firm when I was an engineering student in Atlanta. And, you know, the phrase is like dress for success, you know, fake it till you make it. Don't let them see you sweat. They used to watch how people would salt their food to determine whether or not they made good decisions. If you salted your food before you tasted it, you were rash and impulsive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They would look at how clean your car was to determine, you know, how organized you were. I would say it's at a very basic level. It's those kinds of things that I feel like are um, maybe good examples of the old way of leadership that is, is no more. That's kind of the, that GE uh, and I love GE. I love Jack Welch straight from the gut was one of my favorite leadership books, but I would say that concept, that style of leadership is probably one that is of the past. Does that resonate with you at all? Well, I agree with you that I guess I thought those were never good. <laughs> they weren't good then. They aren't good now, you know, in terms of because there's all kinds of reasons why. Oh, maybe they salted their food because they've been to this restaurant before and they know <laughs> darn well it's insufficiently salty. So if you're going to draw a, an inference on someone's career and future and potential based on on that data point, that that's really foolish. And you should have a more robust process to assess the things you're looking to assess. It was my hot take on that. Uh, so, okay. So, so that's old school. Well, then you've got nine uh, particular surprising ways. Can you give us a, a quick rundown of what those nine are? Yeah. The first one is the idea that you don't have to know everything to be a leader. You know, most people think that I'm not ready to lead because I don't know enough. I think because the way knowledge is rapidly changing and growing, we have to be more comfortable with those three words. I don't know uh, if we're going to be willing and ready to lead. The idea that you need a coach, whether you're going to pay for that coach or not, I think is something that my parents' generation were a little less accustomed to. You know, the idea that any, all the greatest athletes have coaches. I think all the greatest, I think the great business executives have coaches. That concept is new. The idea that if you fail, you're not a leader uh, is outdated. I think all of us are going to have failings. You know, you're not just going to have success after success after success. The idea of not just being aware of your weaknesses, but being intimate with your strengths, I think is, it's surprising to me. You know, there's been research that's been done that says the majority of people think their weaknesses can grow while their strengths remain stagnant, remain fixed. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, you can grow your weaknesses and you can grow your strengths as well. But when you ask that interview question of what are your greatest weaknesses, most people have their canned answer, but most people are not aware of their superpower, their strength. 
Uh, that Jim Collins line, get the right people on the bus. I take that concept and really challenge whether or not we know who the right people are. I think who the right people are is changing. Some people that might have been deemed as the wrong people help me make right decisions, help me become more of a right leader, help me to see more rightly, even though they may have been the wrong people. So challenging that concept was really exciting for me. Uh, the idea of trust, I think, is pretty crucial as we look toward the future. In the past, with our, you know, particularly with our work environments where you could walk down the hallway and look over someone's shoulder to see how they're doing, within a matter of days, the concept of trust on teams was challenged in a way that it had never been challenged before because everyone's working from home. So learning how to give trust without demanding trust, learning how to give trust to be trusted, I think is a way that leadership is changing. Um, the concept of conflict, you know what, the conversations that we're having at work, I'm sure, Pete, even though you work for yourself, you're well aware of this. You know, there was a day where you left religion at home. You left what you thought about a lot of the social issues at home, but we're having those discussions at work on a regular basis. What do you think about race? What do you think about gender? What do you think about sexuality? Those are conversations that are very common in the workplace. Not only that, but people are growing less accustomed to having conflict. So the idea of learning how to have healthy conflict, I think is going to be more important for the future than it even was in the past. Uh, learning to lead with vulnerability. Most leaders are, we've been taught hey, I've got to show the best and hide the rest. I mean, it's social media enforces that and learning how to lead with that thing that makes me feel most insecure. Learning how to lead with my weakness is something that uh, I don't think we're naturally accustomed to. And then the last, the last way leadership is changing is around the idea of success. Learning that success is not a scarce commodity, but learning that it's really having an abundance mentality when it comes to success, making sure the people that you work around know that, hey, I'm in this for you. I'm not in this for me. And when you're successful, I'm successful. And if you're not successful, I can't be successful. I think that concept is a way that the future is going to demand that of us, whether we're ready for it or not. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I, I like that. So so those are those are juicy in terms of we have nine ideas, which you, you can you can think you can, you know, uh, bat around, you can chew on and, and dig into. And so to recap, you know, as you see, number one saying it's OK to, to not know that's cool Two, We all need a coach to be our best. Three, you're going to fail. And that's normal. Let's see. Four, you want to be intimate and knowledgeable of your strengths, your your superpower. Five, the wrong people can in fact be helpful. Six, give trust to be trusted. Seven, learning how to have healthy conflict. Eight, leading with vulnerability, a place where you're insecure. And nine, success is abundant and not a scarce resource. We need to squabble over and, and you know, politic and, you know, scheme uh, to, to hoard. So, Pete, can I, can I have an engaged interruption? You may. As you look at those, which one do you think, <laughs> oh, yeah, that definitely is new. And, and maybe another way to think about it, Pete, when you think about your parents, which one would your parents go, wait a second, why is that one on the list? Yeah, you know, I, I think that what I think the one that struck me as new is when you talk about learning how to have healthy conflict, like in, in some ways, 
that's not super new. Like, I guess, what do we have? Uh, Abraham Lincoln team of rivals. Like, okay, yeah, that, that old school. And that sure was helpful in terms of, of, of having that healthy conflict. But in terms of, yeah, what, what folks are bringing into in the workplace. And I, I, I'm thinking right now about Basecamp, right? They had quite the kerfuffle associated with the leadership. And, and I don't know the ins and outs of the story, but it, it seemed... It seemed like they had, were somewhat good intentioned when, when the leadership said, hey, guys, you know what? These kinds of issues, you know, I feel like they're getting a little bit divisive, a little bit distracting. You know, let's just let's not do that anymore. And then there was just like a riot. Like, whoa, it, like it really blew up. Coinbase did the same thing. It sounds like a very similar situation where the CEO of Coinbase basically said, hey, look, we're not dealing with that. We're here to continue to help in the decentralization of the economic system of the world we're not trying to solve the race issue. So let's leave all that outside. Mm-hmm. And and that didn't go well for them. Well, he, I think he feels great about it, but I think uh, there was a walkout, there was a protest. And, and I, you know, there's a part of me that can understand why he would say that because he's going, I'm not an expert in this. You know, I don't want to talk about this. Let's get back to talking about the economy and how we pay for things. But no, I, I think in general, it was not received really well. Certainly. So that does really feel like a, a new thing. In, in terms of that's happening now. And, and I, I guess there's, that's a whole nother conversation if that's good or bad, right or wrong, appropriate. Exactly, correct. But it's it's there <laughs> in, in terms of there are a, a healthy proportion of folks who want to engage and think it's a, a necessary, proper and appropriate to engage on those matters at work. So lay it on us, Clay. Uh, how do we do that well? <laughs> Well, I give, I think the way you put that is really great, Pete. And this, Pete, just so you know, this is what's great about your podcast is you do a great job of playing this like Switzerland neutral, I'm just a facilitator, but you've got really great thoughts and you have great interjections and opinions as you're trying to pull things out of people. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. But I, I give a plan. I give a, hey, if you're trying to become better at conflict, Here's a way to approach it. I give four A's that you can work on, that you can go think about, you can prepare for. Number one, would you affirm the person? However you can. You know, you might not be able to say much, but would you affirm them? Here's what I believe is true about you. Here's what I'm afraid you're going to think about this conversation. And I just want to let you know that's not what it's about. So it's really, it's um, affirming your intentions. It's affirming what's true about the other person. And it creates a it creates safety. You know, you're, you're, what you're trying to do in any high stakes, difficult conversation is you're trying to build a bridge of safety that's strong enough to bear the weight of whatever is about to come across that bridge. And so if you can start by affirming whatever is true about that person, I think you're off to a great start. But you have to prepare for that. You don't want to think of that on the fly. Secondly, would you ask a couple of really curious questions? Arrogant people don't ask questions. They don't have to, they know it all, but people that recognize, hey, there's something I don't know. There's something that you see that I don't see. And whether you're right or I'm right or you're wrong or I'm wrong, I'll be better if I can get behind your lens and see the way you see it. And so would you ask a couple of curious questions that will allow you to see from the other person's perspective? And then third, would you acknowledge, would you acknowledge what you've heard? Miscommunication has started wars in this world it can certainly start a fight or a conflict in your workplace. And so learning how to simply acknowledge what you've heard. We, we do this a lot with um, engaged couples. We do a lot of premarital counseling, my wife and I do, with 
engaged couples. We'll have them sit on our couch, you know, six or eight times before their wedding. And the session on conflict, we'll say, hey, bring them the latest, greatest conflict you've had. It's always about the in-laws, by the way. Spoiler <laughs> alert. It's always about the in-laws. And so what we'll do is we'll say, all right, you, sir, would you explain what you wish would be different with your spouse? And he'll say, well, I wish you would check with me before you call your mom about said situation. And then she'll go, this is her acknowledgement. We'll, we'll have her repeat back. This is, he's assertively communicating. She's actively listening. And she'll say, so what I hear you saying is you don't want me to talk to my mom anymore. <laughs> okay. That's not exactly what I said. That's not what I'm hoping for. So there's a chance for them to um, sync up what they're actually saying. That's really important. And that's what that step of acknowledgement is doing. It's, it's trying to let the other person know, I hear you. You know, when you say something, that's important. But when you feel heard by someone, it is um, such a crucial part of communication. So if you'll start by affirming, then ask a few curious questions, and then acknowledge what you've heard, and then advise, and then give the advice or th whatever it is that you want to bring, you're just off to a way better start. And the problem is if you don't go through it in that order, if you go through it in the reverse order, which is what most people do, most people want to fire off the text to the boss or to the peer, to the coworker. Hey, I just want to let you know, this is your problem and how dare you and you better not and whatever. <laughs> and if you do that, you end up having to walk backwards through the process. You end up having to acknowledge that you were wrong, ask for forgiveness, and then affirm that you really love working there. So if you don't go through it in that order, I think you'll end up paying for it in the end. But that's just a simple process as we think about the future why conflict is going to be even more important in the future than it was in the past, specifically healthy conflict. My hope is to give a pathway for people that they can prepare for so that they can have healthier conversations at work. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. That's cool. So affirm, ask, acknowledge, nifty. Let's hear about wrong people being helpful. Well, I love what Jim Collins is saying. I mean, Jim Collins is like the goat, you know, I mean, he is the, you know, that book, Good to Great was I mean, I'm sure it's sold more copies than he has not sold more copies than you have had podcast downloads. I can promise you that. About 15 million ish. <laughs> he has sold. Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he might have. I don't know. Oh. He has sold a lot of good to great copies. And that line, you know, get the right people on the bus. I've had it rattling around in my head for as long as I've been leading teams. But what I found is, is that what I thought was right might not be right. I always thought right was I get along with them. I like them. They're like me. They look like me. And the more I have stepped into leadership opportunities, the more teams I've led, the more I've realized that the right people aren't always the right people. And sometimes the people that I think are the wrong people are the ones that actually help me the most. You know, just because you're ambitious, it doesn't mean you're the wrong person. Just because you are prickly, doesn't mean you're the wrong person. Just because you're hard to get along with doesn't mean you're the wrong person. Now, certainly you want to be a great team player. You want to be willing to get along with people around you. But sometimes the wrong people really do help you see the right way or make the right decision. And I think that's new. I think that's different. I think that's a different way of seeing the future than the way we've seen it in the past. Mm -hmm. So they're the wrong, I guess what this makes me think of is sort of like the halo effect or, or if, if there's 
what's the her devil horn effect <laughs> in reverse? <laughs> the opposite, yeah. Like someone is 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 prickly or or abrasive, and that and thusly they're all bad. And then they're not the right person to be on the bus, and so they don't belong on the bus, and so don't associate with them. You know, they're unclean, <laughs> un- unclean, unclean. Yes. Yet it, it seems that in, in in this instance, like the very same candor, shall we say, associated with that prickliness or abrasiveness is is just what the doctor ordered in terms of, of helping you see blind spots or, you know, learn, grow, improve. I mean, I certainly think so. I mean, I'm, you know, you, I'm sure you've had people that have, it's been the people that have challenged even the way you've run your business or thought about your podcast that maybe initially you were like, I don't like the way that feels. But in the end, they're the people that actually helped me grow, helped me change, helped me see something that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. And so, I think early on in my leadership, I thought, get the right people on the bus. I got to get the people that I like on the bus. I got to get the people that are like me on the bus. But the longer I've led, the more I've realized, I don't know that I've got the right concept of who the right people are and how sometimes the wrong people are the right ones to help me see differently. Honestly, Pete, it's why I think people underestimate diversity. You know, if your team looks just like you, Mm -hmm. there's a problem. You know, there somehow deep within you, there's probably something within you that wants to justify why you look the way you look or why you are the way you are. But valuing other opinions, valuing other backgrounds and the way other people see it is only going to help you see more clearly. It's only going to help you reach the people that you're trying to reach or sell whatever it is you're trying to sell. And I think sometimes we miss that about diversity, that we feel diversity is... Um, There's an altruistic motive behind diversity that I think is great, but I think we miss out on the idea that you will make better decisions if you get people around you that don't look like you, that don't see like you. It will only help you in the future. And I think sometimes we miss out on that. That, That's a complicated thing for two white guys to talk about. But I think it's um, a really important part as we look toward the future, as we start thinking about who should be on the bus and who shouldn't be on the bus. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, you know, as, as you have a broader array of perspectives, you get a, a fuller picture of, of reality and, and, and thus, yeah, especially o- over the course of many decisions, you're, you're going to have better ones and sometimes epically better ones. So that's handy. Let's get your hot take on being intimate with your strengths and knowing your superpower. First, Clay, what, what's your superpower? I think my superpower is the people around me, they feel believed in, they feel uh, like someone sees them. I'll tell you, you'll find out more clearly what your superpower is when you resign from a job, (laughs) which is kind of unfortunate. But they did a little exercise on my last day of work where they, you know, they, everybody had a whiteboard and they said, all right, everybody write on the whiteboard. What do you want Clay to know? That's good. And that was a great exercise. And there was a gal on our team who grew up very differently than me, looks very differently than me, has a very different background than me, but was an incredible teammate for me. And she wrote on her board, she said, what I want him to know is I'm grateful that he always saw me. And I thought that's pretty stellar. I I probably gained more awareness of what I was good at by leaving than I had while I was there, which I think is one reason why every now and then you ought to just quit a job and resign from a job. I had the same job for about 18 years. And so I don't know how much you've done on resignation, Pete, but the morning I had to go meet with my boss to resign, 
I opened up my podcast app and typed how to resign from a job Mm -hmm. because I had never done it before. Well, we had an episode on that. I'm wondering if we turned up. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to make sure I got it right. That's such a, um, you know, that's, it's kind of a hidden, it's one of those hidden parts of having a job that you just don't think about until you have to do it for sure. Certainly. Well, it sounds like you did it fairly classily if that's the sort of um, exit they gave you as opposed to, you know, a, a swift kick in the butt. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, and a, right. Here's your box. Get out Lit of everything on fire and dead <laughs> deuces. Right. Okay. So resigning is one way that you can get some insights into your superpower. What are some of your other practices you recommend to get those insights? Well, the easiest way is to ask people. You know, the probably the, the best simplest thing that I did was anytime you're changing jobs, uh, whether you're resigning or not, it's a great time to ask people around you, but you don't have to wait until you change jobs to ask the people around you. Um, I just sent a simple Google survey to with three questions. What do I do that inspires you? What do I do that bothers you? And what do I do that I don't even know that I do? What are my blind spots? And of course, the, you know, Pete, like anybody, the parts that I harped out on that I really camped out on were questions two and three. But reading the answers to question one, what do I do that inspires you? What do I do that motivates you? It gave me such crystal clear clarity on what it is that I do that people appreciate. And so the easiest way to find out what you are good at is to ask the people around you. Most people just don't know. I'm, I'm amazed at how many interviews I do where you ask people what their weaknesses are and they'll give you the Michael Scott answer. You know, I work too hard. I care too much. I spend too much time at work. You know, those are my weaknesses. But most people They don't know what they're good at. And the people around you know, they know what you're good at. And if you can become more intimate with your strengths, you'll find that your strengths are what the people around you love you for. And you can grow in those and become an even more valuable player today and tomorrow as well. That's good. Well, Clay, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about a couple of your favorite things. Well, I... I think we would all agree that the future is going to be different. I think we would all agree that we're moving toward a different future than the past that we came from. And I hope people feel encouraged by that. I certainly do. I think as I started thinking through this concept, I felt so encouraged that I think a lot of these changes in leadership are healthy changes. There was a um, story that Angela Arantz, I had the chance to interview her for this project. Angela was the CEO at Burberry. And then uh, after that, left to be the senior VP of retail for Apple. And Angela told the story about sending out these videos to her 75,000 retail employees at Apple. And she was trying to unify them. She was trying to bring them together. And so every Monday morning, she would send out a video called Three Points in Three Minutes. Three Points in Three Minutes, which I thought was a great little concept. She said one of the first times that she shot it, she had a video crew in her office and they said um, she she had a phone call in the middle of while she's shooting it. And it was her daughter, Angelina, who was in school in London and college. And she picked up the phone. She said, hey, just keep it rolling. She picked up the phone and she said, hey, Angelina, I'm shooting this video right now. As soon as I get done, I'll call you right back. Her daughter said, no problem. Call me back. She hung, hung up the phone. She finishes the video. She gets done with it. She tells the camera crew, she says, hey, keep that in there. Send it out just like that. Mm-hmm. They said, are you sure? You know, they're like, we're Apple. We make beautiful things, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, yes, send it out just like that. 
She said the next morning she wakes up and looks in her email and she had hundreds of emails of people telling her, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that you're a person too, that you're trying to do your greatest work, but you're also trying to be an amazing mom and you're trying to have a great marriage and you're trying to be a great person. We're trying to do the same thing. And so I think some of those changes like that, you know, that's an example of vulnerability. It's an example of being open and honest about what's really going on in life. And I think there's something for all of us to learn in that, that people want a different kind of leader. People do not want a leader that has it all together, that knows everything, that has the right answer for every single issue. People want a leader that's willing to say, hey, I don't know. I genuinely don't know, but I'm working on it as well. And I don't have it together either. I'm inviting you to help me become a better leader. I'm doing something that's such a big deal. I can't do it alone. And I'm inviting you to be a part of this. And I think that's who we all want to work for. I think that's the kind of leader we all want to work for. So why not become that kind of leader? Why not become the kind of leader that is uh, growing into that kind of vulnerable aware of conflict, better at conflict, giving trust, even though you might not feel trusted kind of leader. I think it's the kind of leader we want to work for. And I think it's the kind of leader that we all uh, really want to become. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh, I love that Abraham Lincoln quote. I prepare and I study because one day my time will come. I love that little simple concept that I think what he's trying to say is I recognize that destiny has something for me in the future. And I think that's true for every person, that the future has something for you. The future has something where you're going to be called a moment, a mission, an opportunity where you're going to be called upon to lead. And so what you're doing now is not wasted effort. What you're doing now is not, it's not worthless. No, it's so important because you are getting ready for that moment. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite book? I love Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. Has, uh, do people ever comment on that one? Does that ever come up? That's come up a couple times. I, I listened to the audio version. Okay. I, I, I hear it in my, my mind's ear right now. You're in the box. <laughs> You're in the box. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's probably my favorite leadership book. And it's it's in the fable. You know, the, it's, it's, it's done as a fable which some people like the fables and some people don't. But yeah, I love the concept that you are constantly affirming the narratives that you've already written about people. And so you have to challenge those narratives or else you're going to just continue to put them in the words of the Arbinger Institute in yeah. the box. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, ClayScroggins.com would be the easiest place to go, but um, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, a bit on TikTok, not a lot, but some. So at Clay Scroggins, that would be great. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, I would just say, you know, continue to study, continue to grow, continue to learn because you just never know when your moment's going to come. And if, you're, if your moment hasn't come and you feel passed over or you feel like people have forgotten you, there's still more to come. Your story is still being written. And if you can continue to grow and develop and challenge yourself, I think you will be better prepared for whatever the future holds. So uh, I'm grateful for podcasts like this that help people grow personally, because without this, 
we just wouldn't have opportunities to challenge ourselves, to hear new ideas and new concepts. So Pete, you're modeling, I think, which is a great thing for every one of us, which is to consistently try to learn something from someone so that you can grow and prepare and challenge yourself to be ready for whatever the future holds. Mm -hmm. Well, Clay, thank you. This has been a treat. Keep up the great work. Back at you, Pete. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love Clay's take on the four A's of those tricky conversations, starting with affirm the other person however you can. And I, I like that, however you can, because there's always a little something you can say. If someone's getting so all up in your business, uh, <laughs> you can say, I really appreciate your commitment, your zeal, your passion, your enthusiasm, how much you're standing up for what you believe in, whatever. Even if something is driving you nuts, there's often some kind of virtue or goodness that you can affirm within that. And I think that's just really cool to, to look hard for it and, and recognize it might take a while, but somewhere there's a way you can affirm that and that gets things off to a great start. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are awesome at yourjob.com slash EP732. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.